Hello and welcome to this Glass Tire podcast. I'm Brandon Zek. This is the fourth in a series of five podcasts that we recorded live at the 2019 Satellite Art Show at the Museum of Human Achievement in Austin, Texas. Satellite is an art fair dedicated to showing young dealers, artist-run spaces, and nonprofits, and this inaugural Austin event ran concurrently with South by Southwest. In the DIY spirit of Satellite, we set up shop in a van outside of the fair and used it as a sound booth to record these podcasts. This episode, recorded on the fair's fourth day, was guest hosted by Tammy Rubin, an artist based in Austin. Tammy and I talked about what's up with ceramics, the grittiness of Austin's art spaces, and how artists can build the kind of community that they want to be a part of. This episode also features two other conversations, the first with satellite exhibiting artist Fatty Joffrey, and the second with Sarah Vanderbeek and Eric Manch of Dorf, an Austin alternative space. Enjoy. Okay, we're doing it. Doing it and doing it and doing it well. We're sitting in the back of a van at the Satellite Art Show in Austin, Texas, in front of the Museum of Human Achievement. And all its greatness and glory. And all its greatness and glory. Mm-hmm. And all its warehousiness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I am Brandon Zeck. And I am Tammy Rubin. And you're guest hosting with us today. I am. Yay. So, uh, Cheers. For, for the listeners that don't know about you or mm-hmm. your work, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am a sculptor. Uh, my medium varies, but I, I concentrate uh, mostly in ceramics. And so it is um, often objects that are accessible or recognizable as everyday industrial things that I'm like recreating into clay forms. And so trying to change the meaning behind them, like take away the function and then making them almost into like new trophies or contraptions or curiosities. Um, and so... I actually have an exhibition up right now at uh, the George Carver Museum, Constant Escape, which is open until July 27th. I'm very proud of myself that I remembered to say this. That's good. <laughs> yeah, you're getting it right at the beginning. I'm like getting right at the beginning. Yeah, like, yes. Getting in all your plugs like, hey, before people get this is too what, lost in the this podcast. This is what people say when they, say, when they have plugs. <laughs> yes. So uh, that exhibition uh, is you showing with two other artists, and y'all are... Uh, Black Mountain Project? We are Black Mountain Project. So it is, um, it's not really a collective, it's a project because we we want to actually have conversations, dialogue with other artists that we maybe don't see represented or who are interesting to us and we'd like to work with them. We have a really small space kind of just through happenstance. Um, so Beth uh, McConan, uh, also sometimes going as Betty, uh, she has a studio space along with another artist, Betty um, uh, Deborah Roberts, here at Canopy. And then they have this kind of overscaled hallway. It's too big for a hallway. It's uh, too small for studio space, but it actually is a nice space to do something in. And that was kind of like that and the fact that we were having these conversations kind of over and over again and wanting to like expand beyond the, the artists that we already knew. And we thought that this would be like a good opportunity to do that. So that's very DIY Austin. Kind it's, of like what we were very, talking about off mic earlier. Yes, it is very do-it-yourself Austin. And I mean, it's not something... This idea is definitely not new here. You see this happen all the time. But the idea of taking these conversations and making them into something more formal. Um, Betty and um, Adrian was already making kind of collaborative work in, um, for some of their projects. And so it, it's I, I like it because it's my, my practice itself is pretty solitary. But this gives me uh, like a venue like to 
consider things in a more like open way and it helps me to like push myself and also it's uh it's like intellectually gives me a little intellectual rigor having these conversations with them and seeing what we can bring out of that and so that's how this show kind of came about so it's all our own individual work but uh it's very much based on these dialogues that we've been having mm -hmm. so yeah tell me a little bit about how you came to ceramics because uh -huh. christy norris glass tires editor-in-chief mm -hmm. and i had a a conversation uh a couple months ago maybe mm -hmm. about ceramics and how they're kind of in the zeitgeist right now a i little did bit. i did see that article is that uh -huh. are we referring to the article mm -hmm. uh can I talk about the article a little Please. bit? Okay. Bring it on. So this is the thing about that article is that I feel like if you're in, if your medium is ceramics, you see that article every couple years. Okay, like, yeah. Every couple years it's like, this is a ceramics moment. Every couple years. And then it just life goes on. And then a couple <laughs> years after that, this is ceramics year. And I and I, it's one of those things like you don't, I don't actually like know what they mean. So in a lot of terms, it's it's artists who have ceramics in their practices, who have just gotten like large exhibitions, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's the New York Times uh, going to more design craft-based artists who are making, who are throwing pots in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's new, right? And yeah. so you see those kind of articles. I mean, even thinking about somebody like Ruby Sterling who's having a show right now, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, if, you know, it's it's questionable if he was only making ceramics, would he be having this level of success? Well, that's right? a good question because the ceramic medium has so many, which is something we kind of talked about. It has mm. so many kind of loaded things in terms of functionality yes. right. and it's a history. Right. And then, you know, also especially, which is something, uh, the, the non-Western element of ceramics, uh -huh. which is something that admittedly we didn't delve as deep in that conversation. Uh, but yeah. it has such a long and complicated history just kind of in it the world over. A really long, complicated history. And then also, you know, just thinking about American art as a whole, you know, we didn't really become a powerhouse until the 50s, right? Mm. Like we were still thought of as kind of a backwater as far as art, right? And so we kind of invented ourselves um, as uh, like... Uh, like we too can be like the forethinking or like the like the like the future of art through something that was kind of made here, right? And mm -hmm. so we just don't have like a history of. If you go to England, they can tell you all about Wedgwood. They can tell you all about the history of ceramics. If you uh, go to Sweden, same thing. But we just don't have that here. Yeah. We have a little bit of information about the arts and crafts movement here, yeah. but it's but there's really not been a long history or or like a, a tense study of. Um, kind of like handmade work here mm -hmm. um, and pr promote it that way. And so because of that, it feels like unlike, even though like photography has gone through this as well, it's just like as a contemporary medium, there's still some sort of skepticism that I think is just on the base that there is not enough knowledge, you mm -hmm. know, oh, that's yeah. homegrown, I right? Mean, every photographer has had the, is it art? Is it art? Right. Question right. like in their critiques or in yeah. their classes or, I mean, do you we know. still have that conversation about about photography? photography? Really? I feel like sometimes it happens. Okay. Sometimes I've heard it. Okay. I just know that like it was also a place where you saw it relegated to 
kind of a secondary position in art history books, mm-hmm. right? Like sometimes people would talk about, uh, so they talk about Vulcus, you know, and maybe Arneson in as far as ceramic contemporary or like artists, yeah. but then that would be it. You know, like nothing else would be in those books, right? And it would kind of be relegated to like a, the side. So, mm-hmm. well, um, or in those books, it's like you're seeing Mesoamerican vessels. Right. Exactly. And then there's yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah it's those true. are the ceramics exactly. in that, that in that gardener's art through the ages book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you're not seeing the big sterling ruby ceramic. No, and it, I mean maybe some ore sometimes, uh, and it really just depends who's the. I mean, all of our history is based on who's putting out the book, right? And so if that person, yeah, exactly. So if that person has, you know, they their, their mentor was not involved in it or they're not involved in that study, like it just doesn't go in, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's gotten better, but it's just like the conversation we have about representation about gender or um, sexuality or identity or like who gets included, so. Um, you know, it's so it's interesting to me. So I like I appreciated that article, uh, <laughs> the talk about it. And but you know, like if you talk to Theaster Gates, he'll tell you too. He's like, oh yeah, nobody was interested until I started making other things, and then they were like, oh, what's the ceramics that you're doing? Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? So that totally makes sense. Yeah. So what brought you to you ceramics? ceramics? So mine was the college. Uh, was in school, first generation in college, and uh, I went to parochial school, so I didn't take a lot of art classes. There wasn't a lot of time for art classes, all of religion classes. Um, and so I took a ceramics class my senior year. And I said, well, when I go to college, I'll take some art classes, not with no plans of being an artist necessarily. And um, out of the art classes I took, the, the professor, Ron Kovach, who taught ceramics, his studio was attached to the ceramics building. And so he would invite me into his, like not just me, but all like students, if you're interested, he would invite you into his studio. And that was the first time I saw a working artist, like someone who's like actively making. And he would have, you know, conversations and he would go in depth about it. And I just hadn't witnessed a living artist before. I'd definitely been to a bunch of museums. I grew up in Chicago, I love the artists too. But they always seem like theoretical or like in the past, even when they were live, right? I mean, if you've never seen someone make something, it's always kind of like this weird, otherness exactly in a way Mm -hmm. like you know I mean as someone who's never taken a painting class when I was like first starting to study art history Mm -hmm. I had no idea how you would start making an oil painting Mm -hmm. like it's 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 a completely foreign thing until you become familiar with a medium exactly so so I hadn't seen it Uh, he was so encouraging there was just like a great uh, community like as you need equipment and people would just you know, it was like I had roommates who were like in business classes or whatever, but just like these people spent all this time, like they worked so hard and spent all this time making. Um, and so I just kept taking various art classes and more ceramics classes and, uh, you know, eventually I had to make, couldn't take any more unless I was going to be a major. And I looked around and I was like, uh, you know, I guess maybe I'm not going to become a industrial designer. I tried. I tried, I tried to take those classes and make myself do it, but I was like, I'm just, no. So that's how I became a ceramics major. And it was not, um, at that time it was, you know, I think if I had been an earlier generation, you would have had to start be, you would have started as a potter. But he had, he was a potter when he started and then he became a sculptor. Mm-hmm. And he had a kind of thing like, you, you can pick. You don't need to do, like both, and probably you're not gonna do both well, but you have to like figure out, like it's good to know how to do both, but what are you what is your affinity like what is interesting to you and so it was sculpture for me right off the bat the whole time and so uh, yeah so it was just like it's a medium 
like any other medium, and I want to make three-dimensional work. So you mentioned how when you were studying, it was kind of a community, and you found this really nice community in it. Mm -hmm. But earlier, you were talking about your practice now, and you're saying it's a little more solitary. How's that kind uh, of made yeah, a... Yeah, I guess that's have true. Have you crossed a threshold in a way? No, or? I guess when I say solitary, like, I make my work as an... I don't usually collaborate with anyone, right? So I'm, like, gotcha. making the work alone. But uh, you often have to share equipment. So you're making so basically you're making work alone, but in a like in a place with a bunch of other people who you know you have to go call to ask like can you help me pick up this big thing to put in the kiln, or uh, you know share equipment or resources and um, people share information too because it, it can be you know quite technical you can't know everything and so that sharing of information is like kind of essential and mm -hmm. so you see a lot of that happening in. Um, like the insular ceramics world. Mm -hmm. So um, I think what can be, like what I sometimes felt unsatis unsatisfying was I didn't want to have just conversations about technique all the time. I want to have conversations about idea. You don't want to just talk about mm -hmm. the chemistry of glazes. No, I don't. I, yeah. I really don't. Um, and even in that fact, like I, I kind of was an early adopter early on of like buying glazes, which was really frowned upon. I got so much shit from it from some people. And I was like, no one's giving any painter shit for going to go buy paint like that they didn't get the oil and then take like minerals the and, and then like in. take a pump you know like exactly be pounding it into a paste i mean it gives me time to do the thing that i want to do is, is creating content so yeah and i've gone through all kind of things where like i wanted more immediacy so i started airbrushing um, acrylics onto my ceramics so it really would look like plastic and there would be this kind of pause where people would not know exactly what it was because it, it looks like plastic, right? And so mm -hmm. I kind of like that having that like couple of, like those couple of minutes of them not knowing and having any kind of preconceived ideas before there was a recognition. Mm -hmm. And then all of those kind of preconceived ideas um, like came into play. So I do think it's better now. Like people are not, you know, I guess it just depends, but I feel like that um, I don't have to have a lot of explanation um, here or like now about like what my work is. You know, mm -hmm. it's not this conversation just about ceramics. Is that because people are more familiar with your work here in Austin? Is mm -hmm. that what, what has kind of made that shift happen? Is it because people have mm -hmm. become more accustomed to seeing ceramics as art in galleries just mm -hmm. over time in general? Right. Or? I'm not sure. Maybe it's just because it could also be that like, the things, the venues that I'm in are not necessarily just um, relegated to one kind of medium. And so then there's, you know, so it's being, con it's, yeah, I don't, I'm not exactly sure. I do think that maybe it's familiarity with my work. Maybe, maybe people know more, maybe also that um, it's not being uh, seen in a, like a very insular like kind of setting. So they're not necessarily ceramic exhibitions, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, which I did a lot of. <laughs> I feel like every well, you know, yeah. every every artist has done the this exhibition. Exactly. Of course, there's there tends to be no real like painting exhibit. It's like it's always the ceramics exhibition or right. the craft exhibition right. or the because it's all painting exhibition. for all the painting is uh -huh. dead. It's always painting all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how have you found the Austin art scene? How long have you been here? Um, I came in fall of 2015 to um, become the sculpture and ceramics professor for St. Edward's University, and so I've been here since then. And um, 
one of my colleagues, uh, Hollis Hammond, who's um, a graphic uh, illustrator, painter, uh, she makes sculptural installations, uh, introduced me to some people right away. And I, you know, I found it very like open, you know, so like almost immediately I, I um, became uh, friends with a couple of artists and uh, or like associated a couple artists and they told me about these things that they were doing. And so like one of the things was uh, uh, Dishdale, which you know the steel podium yeah still a podium for art they uh, I missed Christina and Damien I met Damien first at Gray Duck Gallery I swear probably like my six first six months here and they were saying that they were like building this space over there and would I like to come over and look at it and I did that gallery was on the west side of Austin it was open for probably like a year and a half year and a half almost two years yeah mm -hmm. exactly and so um, I was I guess their second exhibition that they ever had in the space and mm -hmm. so um, I mean, that was like a great, like, welcome, welcome to Austin uh, for me, right? So people to introduce people to my work. And so it just kind of, like I said, just kind of came about by uh, them becoming familiar with my work, by just seeing it, knowing I was coming, and then, you know, getting invited to go, like, see what they were doing, and then they offered me a show, and then I had the show, and so, yeah, that kind of just started it here. I do feel like it's a, um, a small enough city where if you kind of show up and have conversations or, and are active, um, you can have these kind of opportunities. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's not so intimidating as some other places that I've lived, which are just, you know, feel kind of so cliquish, you know, mm -hmm. so. I was talking to someone who uh, mentioned that the whole scene was like that and also people that run spaces oh. are like that too. Like people that run spaces are very welcoming and opening and willing to show other people who are interesting in starting spaces kind of the ropes and help out with you know we're sitting in front of moha and without a doubt project and yeah those kind of places yeah. had all the same right. issues regarding like you know code compliancy which is something that a lot of spaces in mm -hmm. austin kind of sometimes grapple with because mm -hmm. a lot of them are like warehouse spaces that have been converted and are now art right. studios mm -hmm. um i think that goes kind of both ways in terms of it being mm -hmm. open and welcoming for the artists mm -hmm. and then also on people who are interested in coming here and making art happen. I agree. And it doesn't seem like people are uh, on either side. So if they are curators or writers or they're running um, spaces, uh, they seem, they are also open to having conversations. They're not um, kind of like siloing themselves away or it doesn't feel like that to me. And so that kind of creates, and I, and I think it's, like I said, I think it's, it's the size it is the fact that it is not Houston or Dallas, right? Um, and so it's got its own unique kind of feeling about it. And one of those is like, do it yourself. If you, you know, if you dream it, you can do it. So uh, there won't be a lot of money for it. And it might, you know, <laughs> and who knows how long it'll exist. But uh, for that moment, you can do what you want. So, uh, Do you have any thoughts about uh, a first walkthrough of the Satellite Art Fair? So this is the first time that Satellite has had a fair in Austin. Right. It's running concurrently with South by Southwest. Yes. They've had one for multiple years in Miami mm -hmm. and one in New York also. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the first one. So, I mean, the fact that they have done it, they have definitely done it. And it seems like the programming um, it has been very tight. They have a ton of programming. They have a ton, a ton of, of programming. Art. And, you know, this is, I don't know if this is a good week or not a good week. That's what everyone seems to be saying. The South by Southwest week is so, or two weeks really, but yeah. this is the yeah, yeah. music tail end of the interactive. Right. It's such a kind of complicated festival because there is so much happening. 
I mean, that festival's so complicated because you, it's sort of like a job to figure out what do you want to go to? How do you have to get there? What time do you have to be there? You know, that, you know, it's the point that people were like, oh, I'm not going to do any of it because I'm just going to sit at home because I don't want to be in traffic. And you don't want to have to do the planning. So I think that having another thing, I don't know. I feel like that Austin is one of those things where it's like if, if something happens that's unique, people definitely attend. However, yeah. I think if you have more than one thing at the same time, I don't know if that's People always. get confused. Yeah, I think they don't like <laughs> know what to do. So, um, But for the inaugural of anything, I think it's, I hope it happens again. I, I don't know. And I guess it has to have some traction, like anything. It has to mm-hmm. have some traction. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, I'm glad that all of these people have come into town. So if they've never been here before, they get to, you know, to see what Austin's like and maybe take that away with them, yeah, good well, or bad. This is a chance, you know, I've seen some people coming through wearing mm-hmm. South by Southwest badges. Um, the thing is, walking into the Museum of Human Achievement is um. such an uh, indescribable <laughs> experience in itself. Uh-huh. I mean, this is, a, this is a warehouse building. It's a former sex toy factory. Yes, yeah. um, it's, it's the most Austin of the Austin art venues, or one of the more Austin of the Austin art venues. I don't know. It feels like to me. So I grew up in Chicago, and like, uh, and you know, any night you could like go to some warehouse at midnight and see some sort of new configuration. I think I saw like this horrible production of Macbeth, where they—I don't even know what the theme was. Of course, it was Macbeth. It was Macbeth, and it's just like, what is this? What are we doing? I guess. So I mean, I feel like that. Like this is so reminiscent. Like the Museum of Human Achievement Pump Project is so reminiscent of like what. I think of, of, of like scrappy art spaces in kind of any city that, you know, when you don't, you know, you're trying to make something unique happen and you don't have any money. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. Cause it just like, I, I don't know. There's something I love, you know, Canopy's great, but it's, it's so clean. It's There's so a, clean. I'm so <laughs> just, glad like, you said that. I have such a hard time like relating to it as far as artist spaces that I know where you're like, they're gritty. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm so glad you said that because the first thing that I thought of was mm-hmm. there's no way to fake the patina of cobwebs exactly. throughout like an old warehouse building. No. And all of the best art spaces mm-hmm. have just cobwebs out the wazoo on their ceilings. Yes, cobwebs and you're like, where is the exit if something happens? You're like, you know what I mean? Like there has to be a little bit of that. And I mean, just any space that I've, you know, like art spaces like that, it just seemed, they just feel so familiar to me. You know, mm-hmm. like that's what I kind of think of. I don't know, it doesn't have to be that way, but I, yeah. Well, with so many people, what that's like what they came of. up on. Yeah. Also, I mean, that's, that's what you do. Those are the kind of places you visit when you're quote, quote, up and coming. I hate that phrase. But when you're when you're kind of being inaugurated into stuff, those are the places that you go because that's where your friends are showing and that's what yes. you do. And that's where you can afford space and that's where there's lots of space. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that's where, like, there's lots of freedom to do because, like, you know, no, one, no one's quite the, like, the the clean institution aren't quite paying attention so you can kind of do whatever you want, right? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, but... I mean, I, I appreciate, I know it doesn't all have to be that. And so I think it's nice. It's not a great balance here to have this space here and then to go up front and go to Seitan and go to the coffee shop and then go into Canopy and yeah. That might be a good place to leave it in case you got anything else. Uh, Last thoughts, words of wisdom. I guess I, like, I would say that uh, if you feel like you haven't found 
your community here than do what we did and just make yourself one. So that's also kind of Black Mountain Project is, you know, it kind of cemented us into a community for and a support system for each other. And so just make it. That's good advice for any artist and any person. Yes, definitely. All right. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Thanks for coming, Penny. Yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. So this is Brandon Zek and we're in a van in the back of the Satellite Art Fair and I'm sitting here with an exhibitor at the Satellite Art Fair. My name's Fatty Joffrey. He didn't know that so he had to... <laughs> there we go. That's an easy way to do it. You let the other person introduce themselves and that's yeah. that works. That's great. Well then I guess I should say something about myself. Please. I'm Fatty. I'm originally from Houston. Um, so woohoo Texas! But I'm based out in New York now. I've been there for four years. Um, I am an art director and by day I do freelance work with um, like advertising agencies and editorials and stuff but I also do installation art and um, really what I do with my collective is that we kind of build worlds and create storytelling so we bring together like physical pieces and visual pieces and words to kind of make you feel like you're immersed in something. So what's the name of your collective? Um, this is actually funny because we don't have a name yet. Nice. We've only, I mean, we've done like between all of us, like maybe four pieces, um, which each of our pieces, it's like, like a year of work goes into it, you know? So it's kind of one of those things that I'm like, now we're getting to the point where like, we need a collective name. So anyone listening to this, please, if you have suggestions for our collective name, please tell us. Um, but right now we're just, I mean, our names, I'm Fatty Joffrey, Annie Spellings, Jen Liu, which she's not involved in this piece that we're showing here, but she does a lot of great stuff, and Michael Kleiman, that's the four of us, that's our collective name. So what is the piece you're showing here? <laughs> so the piece that we're showing here is called Future Souvenirs. It is what the name sounds like. It's a futuristic souvenir shop. And so we are featuring souvenirs, in this case, snow globes, that show what cities will look like in the future with the effects of climate change. Um, and so along with that, we've also got these sort of like tourist descriptions of like what tourism is gonna look like in the future. Um, and really what we're trying to do is make the topic of climate change and all the many things that come with it um, palatable to people so that they can really understand it. That's a big task to make climate change palatable. It is a big task, and I think it's a bigger task than I understood it to be when I started this project. You know, I knew, um, I had like a bit of a science background. I mean, my story is strange personally in that I like was about to go to college to study genetics, and I had it all sorted. I'd taken like five biology classes in high school, and then I like got to college and I had a dream, and that I, it was a weird, it was a weird dream. Like, like in a sleep dream. In a sleep dream. Dream dream. Yes, I uh -huh. had a dream that I was in a lab, and I was wearing a lab coat and like it was late at night because I would guess I was like the only person there and I was like like doing like a DNA test and so like this like little organisms were the only thing, living thing and I like smiled and I realized that I had braces for five years and no, like I, at that point, I, I mean I did have braces for five years and that no one would ever see my smile other than like weird bacteria and I like woke up and I was like, I need to be an artist and I totally changed my career path. That's, that's okay. Okay, we can roll with that. <laughs> yeah, which it's it's funny because also the idea for this exhibit, Future Souvenirs, also came to me in a dream. Mm -hmm. I had a dream about, so our main piece is a, um, oh yeah, wait, I'm going on a tangent, but I was saying the point is with my science background, I sort of understand that 
there's a climate change is a better term because global warming is not the only thing that's happening to the earth due to humans impact um, and I just didn't really realize how vast it was until I started to dive in the research and so for this project we did about five months of research and I'm like wow I had to like pick and choose things because there's too much to, mm -hmm. to show and it's all in like very very scattered sources um, and most of those sources are very like jargony stuff even stuff that I like like, you know, lots of data charts and things where I started having to tap into my resources and my friends and be like, hey, help me understand this. Yeah, as a help person. me decode something. Yeah, as yeah. a person who understands science, I'm like, and I still couldn't understand it. You know, you really have to be like an ecologist or an environmentalist. And so that's why I'm like, if I can even make it slightly more palatable and say like, hey, here's how this thing is gonna affect you. Like, instead of hearing these statistics about the rainforest being cut down or the glaciers melting, see that like, those places you love to go are going to be gone, or well, the, yeah. you know. The, the only way for something to affect us is for us to really think of it in the personal term. Yes, yeah. exactly, because we are selfish beings. Yeah, um, which is also something I've learned and discovered. Oh, in in the art, has that come out in the art? Besides, of course, the future souvenirs, which tend to make things uh, very personalized in terms of your favorite places yeah. across the world. Yeah, you know, it's actually interesting. Um, uh, do you, is the question, have I discovered how, or have I interpreted how humans are selfish in the actual art itself? That can be the question, yes. Okay, great. Um, yes, the answer is. Um, I think it's interesting because climate change is an issue that affects many other issues, and I think, like, one thing I've noticed is that capitalism plays a lot into it, you know, and, like, how ethical we can be when we're creating things for mass consumption. Um, and so there's one piece that we have in there that's actually the... Um, it's what we're calling the Casa de Agua, which is this like luxurious artisanal water bar in the year 2073 in Sao Paulo. Um, and so for those who don't know, Sao Paulo is suffering a water crisis and basically anytime they go into drought, um, there was a really bad instance a few years ago where they really were running super low on water and people were literally like lo A, losing their minds and also like killing each other over water. Like it was crazy, you know? Um, and the people of Brazil know that they need to stop cutting down the rainforest because that's what's causing this. You know, the rainforest is essential to the water cycle, um, but the politicians are like in bed with the people to whom it's beneficial to cut down the rainforest, mm -hmm. and so they keep doing it. You know, and the people who really are being affected by this and who are the ones who are going to end up not having water don't really have a say in it. And so, our water bar—it's funny because in the future, you know. Um, water, real water is gonna be for the rich and they're not the ones who are gonna be affected by it, you know? Um, and it's, it was also partially inspired by how like Kim and Kanye hired firefighters to save their house, you know? And then at the same time though, it's tricky because you're like, wow, can you blame them? Like if I had the money, I too. If you could do something, wouldn't you do it? <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, and so. If you had unlimited resources, theoretically more or less, at your disposal, why not use them? Exactly, and it's, it's, it's interesting because you can't blame the rich people of the future in a way for, or you know, or of the now, like when their climate change is affecting us, but like the rich people of now and the, and not even just the rich people, but like the corporations and the people who are creating these mass produced things and all of that, like they're the ones who really have to take on this responsibility to make a massive change. And so I think some of our pieces do speak to, to that, you know, the selfishness of humanity. Mm -hmm. Well, and then you, you noted how, how objects, uh, made for mass consumption are often problematic and mm -hmm. have so many things wrong with them and that's because it, they're made for mass consumption but I'm thinking how 
a thing is made for mass consumption, but people don't all need the same thing. Oh, right. Yes, yes. So something is made for mass consumption, but at the same time, it, it doesn't, doesn't It doesn't really work that way and you in know, terms of personal individualized needs. That's actually a great point. And it's funny because that actually probably contributes further to waste because you like buy a thing, you're like, you know, oh, I bought this razor, but like it doesn't really work for me. So I'm going to throw it away and then I'm going to throw away the next eight razors I buy until I find the razor that's good for me instead of just making a razor that's for you. Yeah, there's so many options that yeah. you have to do that to an extent. You have to find what fits. You have to find the thing that works. Yeah. And then the ocean becomes trash plastic. There you go. Yeah. Um, but, oh yeah, earlier I was saying that the the biggest piece in our thing is this giant fish tank mm -hmm. um, and there's the Statue of Liberty sitting in the middle of it and the water comes up to about her face and that's where the water levels are going to be in New York in 2090 or I think it's 2079, that's 50 years from now, um, which is really horrifying to think and people walk through it and they're like, oh, this isn't real, is it? And I'm like, it could be, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, there is a chance, you know. Um, but anyway, that was the the piece I had a dream about that inspired this whole piece, mm -hmm. this whole thing. I was that, like, that makes sense because in the installation, it's also the biggest one. Yes. It's kind of it's it's kind of I think it purposefully so the most jarring. Well, I think it's way. an easy get. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need a description. You see the date and you're like, oh, I get what this is about. I mean, in the larger term, making climate change palatable. It's like, okay, how do we find visual symbols and language that we recognize and understand to start to tell people about this? And um, it's kind of funny because it's like I don't really know where to go after. It's sort of like, okay, we're going to do this thing, and then what? Well, like because <laughs> then you're expecting the response, right? Yeah. You're expecting to make something palatable, and hopefully you'll see the change or the conversation will continue to happen. That's that's the yeah. goal. You're trying to start the conversation. So yeah. not knowing where to go next seems natural in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I, I'd like to say that. Or I think it's more like let's all – it's meant to be thought-provoking, but it's really – challenging for me I think emotionally sitting here for multiple days talking to people about this and realizing that I don't really have a solution you know and I'm like I need to be researching a solution but also I'm not a climate scientist you know mm -hmm. and um, so I think to anyone listening the solution is a support the Green New Deal B put pressure on politicians and around the world not just now um, C think about your personal consumption habits I have um, a piece that me and Annie, one of the other creators of this project, um, we just used our own plastic bottles and any plastic, like even like, you know, this Cane's cup I have here. Sorry, I shouted out Cane's. They owe glass for a sponsorship deal. <laughs> um, but anyway, so like, you know, just all these little things that we have and um, we actually cut them all out and warped and distorted them and pieced them together into a giant sheet of plastic that sort of looks like water. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really scary to think that's just us, you know? So, like, take a look at that and examine your own consumption habits and be like, okay, where can I really make change and where can I help? And lastly, you know, just trust climate scientists and believe them and let them lead the way and, like, try to amplify that work as much as possible. Um, that's all you can do, I guess. The, the fact that you're an artist and that you don't have a solution, you know, I think that's fine. Some art <laughs> tries to solve problems and the thing is sometimes it works, but I feel like that slices a very small number of times. Art yeah. is good at looking at the problem and trying to find solutions, but the actual solutions to the problems, that's where social justice comes in and politicians and action and gathering and organizing. And that's what it can be a venue for. The art can be a venue for making that happen. But 
once that happens, that's how things will really change. Yeah, that's very true. And I think for me, it's interesting because I think most art is meant to be a bit therapeutic or it uh, releases feelings or it's meant to be like, wow, like me too. And I relate to that. And I think that this, what I struggle with is like, a, we've essentially created a piece that induces anxiety. <laughs> you know, it's like the opposite. It like shows you that there are problems there you didn't have to think about. And it's it's not necessarily like peaceful. You, you can know. look at it, induces anxiety. <laughs> also, another way to say that is Thought-provoking. <laughs> Thought-provoking or provokes action. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a, that's a better you know. Way to say it. Yeah. yeah it's, all, it's all about selling it, right? Exactly. That's, that's part of the problem. It's yes. all about selling it. Yeah. But I, I, can, I can say mo I think mostly people do have a really um, positive response to it. And it is, it is interesting. I didn't expect to be. So this is the first time that we've installed this piece. Um, and it's the first time it's really seen the world at all. So I didn't know what to expect. Um, but it's interesting. Lots of people have many different takes on it, and I'm really impressed at the amount of like deep and thought-provoking conversations that I've had with people. Um, and I think people really do care. They just are trying to know, you mm -hmm. know. Um, so yeah, there's that. Well, it's good that people are coming into it and asking you questions. Yeah. Because that's the point. Yes, it is. The Even point. if you don't have the answers. I don't. But <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. What else but should we talk about? I I don't know. That could be a good place to end it. Yeah, probably. Um, well, then I'll, I'll say one more thing. We are going to be doing a main version of this exhibit mm -hmm. um, in New York City, which I know this is about Texas, but if it's any fine. of you happen to be from New York or in New York or around New York, it's going to be opening May 2nd. It's going to run the whole month of May at the Storefront Project on Orchard Street. Um, and we'll have more souvenirs there, everything's for sale. We'll also be doing programming. So we'll have like a panel on climate change. We're gonna have dancers doing performances inspired by you know, the issue of pollution and everything. And it's really hopefully just gonna be a space where people can come and find these solutions and get together. So uh, follow us on Instagram at future.souvenirs and you can keep up with it. And if you aren't in New York, then it's cool because we're actually gonna be posting all of our sources, um, all of our globes, all of our stories, everything, so that people can learn more about it. And hopefully we're just one step closer to getting people to figure it out. So if you're in New York in May, go see that. Yes. Thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is Brandon Zeck, and we are sitting in the back of a van in front of the Satellite Art Fair, and I have two special guests with me. Can you two introduce yourselves? Sarah Vanderbeek. And Eric Match, and together we run... Dorf. Dorf, that's D-O-R-F. That's right. And what is Dorf? So Dorf is an artist-run space that my wife Sarah and I run. She is the director. I am the um, task manager. I clean the floors and occasionally help with curating. But we, we converted our garage into a studio for her to paint and for me to work out of. And after we did that, we realized that we had the potential to turn it into a community art space and a gallery um, and somewhere that we could help other Texas artists show. Okay, so if that's what Dorf is, then why did y'all start Dorf? So Eric and I have lived in Austin for over a decade now and have seen the landscape change here quite a lot and have, <clears throat> like a lot of spaces in Austin, moved around a bunch. When we realized that we weren't going to be able to rent anymore in Austin, we, it, was in, it was in 2012 and we realized that we had an opportunity to buy something in South Austin because it was very undervalued 
property in Austin. It was a very strange phenomenon that everyone thought they could only be in East Austin. So we were like, let's buy a place in South Austin that has a garage so that we can convert it to our studio. And then after working there for a couple of years, we were like, what? we would participate in the West Austin studio tour and it would just be my work or, you know, and it was like, why is this space just about me? It feels weird and I don't like the way that feels. So that is when we started opening our own space, but we never thought about doing it in the garage. We were looking for physical space. And so we would look for other space and then it was just impossible. So that is when ICOSA happened was I was invited to from the from the very first couple of people to like become five to become 10 become eventually 20 and we started icosa which was exactly the right like place and time for me because that's what i wanted to do and icosa actually lost its space yes the original space that you helped found it in right so i guess what's happened is since moving here it's been just a constant new space, new home, new finding new home, finding new people, finding new place. And just there's this this condition in Austin that the art the people who have managed to stay here or haven't left um, are kind of constantly banding together. So uh, I had talked to Jill from Great Up Gallery a little bit about what it's like to live with art. Uh, because, you know, gallerists kind of get that experience a little mm-hmm. bit. They're there for the work day or, uh, you know, nonprofits, same thing, museums. But y'all get to live with art in your home. Mm-hmm. And how does that kind of change how you look at art? Sarah always had a really good eye for art and has always collected art and traded art. And so I think that even before Dorf, our house was like basically a gallery. Salon style walls everywhere, just art everywhere. And so... And that, I mean, that's like, for me, it was a dream because I, I just don't have the know with all to do that. And um, living with art in our garage has been kind of an extension of that and building off of that. And it's really, it's interesting. It's like, it's crazy because sometimes, like we had basically uh, an artist in residence when Angry Cloud did a solo show with us. And he was there four days, five days a week leading up to the show for a couple of weeks and painting a mural in our garage and we'd see him every day share coffee with him you know he'd be coming in to use the bathroom i'd be going outside to do something that i had to do and it was uh it was really interesting i don't know if i if we could do that like 24 7 but well it's the experience of running a real space yeah it has elements of a real space that you kind of get to do from the comfort of your own home right right yeah and it's i mean like a real space it shuts down at a certain time and there's something really cool about like at night, Sarah and I, once the baby goes to bed, like walking out into Dorf and seeing a fully hung show like right in our garage and just kind of being able to like have a glass of wine and just relax in that environment is, and know it's your home is kind of magical. There is something that happens to that room. There's an energy that happens that each time is like really exciting to me because living with work that you're not necess- that is not necessarily part of your everyday but it's part of this idea is really really amazing to be able to like soak it soak it up and like not have to leave for too long and it makes it feel like purely authentically absorbing what the work is 
That'd be a good place to leave it. That works. Does it? And that concludes day four of the Satellite Art Show in Austin, Texas. There are four other podcasts we recorded at the fair, so keep on the lookout for those in your feed. I want to again thank today's guest host, Tammy Rubin. Thanks for listening, and go see some art.